Hello, creepers. Welcome back. Welcome back to Unexplained Oregon. How are you, Christine? I'm doing really good. How are you doing, Kim? I'm doing good. We made it through Christmas. That's always we a survived. good thing. Yes, <laughs> Christmas 2020. My yeah. word. It was, it was interesting. I mean, uh, we had a quiet one. My mom cooked up a bunch of food. She was just supposed to do appetizers. She cooked up a feast. Uh, and we just, <laughs> yeah. Did she uh, really? She did. She cooked more than she said she would. Uh, <laughs> Big shocker. shocker. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, we just kind of vegged out. And the kids are older now, so I joke. There's not much they need when they're college education is getting paid for right like yeah. that's enough so uh yeah we had a good time we just sat around how about you how'd it go for you yeah a lot of eating uh visiting hanging out um just kind of trying to go with the flow of this holiday that's such a different feeling and trying to be flexible and maybe create tradition around what we're all going through right now with just being more isolated, being more careful, being more mindful of exposure. And that really meant like not doing the things that we're used to doing, which was really hard. Like this is the time of year where we're supposed to be around our people. We're supposed to be talking and seeing and connecting and, and to pull back from that and have it be like, okay, it's okay not to do that. It felt strange, but mm -hmm. good. It was this weird, like, just trying to be present, create some new traditions, um, mm -hmm. and, and find, like, a little bit of joy and happiness in it, even though it was, like, different. Very yeah. different. Very yeah. different, but might as well have stayed with 2020. <laughs> right? Know. It would be Definitely. Really strange if our Christmas was normal in That's 2020. That's so true. That's so, so true. Yeah, I think what's so great about 2020 is... That it's almost you, over? That it's almost over for sure, but I was thinking about it. We all, no matter who we are or, you know, where we're from, we all kind of had to come together in 2020 and think about our health. And we're kind of, we were all in the same position, really. And that's yeah. kind of rare and to think about. So I think... Uh, there are some positive things that came out of 2020 for me, for sure. Like, uh, I crafted way more in 2020 than I ever have before. Like, I, for me to pick up my knitting needles in the summertime is a rare thing, but I was knitting all through June and July and uh, started craft projects that I've wanted to forever. So some that's... craft projects that I didn't even know were possible, like making yes. little tiny miniature. <laughs> I'm a little obsessed. Things. And I'm always like, what's Kim doing? And then I find out that you're like making a craft that I, and I know we've talked about it before. You've just inspired me. I don't know how you have like the attention to sit and do it, but good yeah. for you. Yeah, I have a new little obsession out there uh, making dollhouse furniture I guess and dollhouses I'm such a nerd and I actually there's a whole world out there where you can go and make faint like little tiny sized furniture pieces out of refurbished items so like 
I, I had this carton of um, chicken stock in our recycle thing the other day and the top lid of it looked just like a toilet. Like oh <laughs> next time gosh. you have chicken stock, look at the little lid that pops up and yeah. I zeroed in on it and I'm like, don't throw that away. I can make a toilet out of it. And my son just looked at me like, are you insane? <laughs> so, but now that I'm doing that, I can look around and I don't want to throw anything away. Like yeah. I, it's really crazy. So yes, 2020 brought more crafty obsession into my life, which is always a good thing. And here we are at the end of it. And I just hope that, you know, everybody celebrates the new year and hopefully, you know, it sounds like that vaccine is coming. So we can just look forward to that and move on. More changes. I, it brought for me plants, which we've talked about. I bought some more plants in the last couple of days. I'd kind of stopped buying them and realized that it's a lot of care and time and nurturing, which was really good, but it got a little bit out of control. Mm -hmm. um, I did move some around to put up Christmas decorations. And so now I like where the plants are currently. I got some things for Christmas, like plant food and a humidifier for plants. And oh, good. I'm like re-inspired to like nurture them again. And and I got, like I said, two more new ones yesterday. So I'm like, okay, let's take care of these. Let's put some nurturing into them. I also want to tell you, Kim, that I got some stickers for Christmas. Yay! Sticker club. So we what? are, it's for real. Yeah. Yes, we have a couple of listeners that actually have uh, DM'd us and said, I want to join sticker club. How do I do it? <laughs> If you're interested in sticker club, then just get a binder and start buying stickers and trade them with people in your life. That is and literally what sticker club maybe is. maybe post some pictures. Maybe we'll post some of our stickers or yes. even I'll post some plants. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what are you all doing to get through or what have you done to get through 2020? What are you hoping to carry on as like a new tradition that helps nurture you that's like yeah. a positive coping skill that gets you through your day whether or not we're closed up in our homes or just is it, what are you doing that's gonna that's gonna keep you going that you want to carry on with like plants or stickers or other than making... listening to unexplained organ right right because you can do all of that stuff while you're listening to us so yes Okay. So good. So well, that before, being said, Kim, what do we need to do now? Yeah. Before we talk about our uh, wonderful, creepy subject for this week, stalking past and present. We're still trying to name this one. Uh, we want to always plug our Instagram, our social media pages. We have a Facebook page. We have uh, Unexplained or on our Instagram and uh, we've actually, Christine, you, you've been so wonderful about posting to our social media. <clears throat> and you actually, we've started something on Wednesdays. Talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So I decided to call it, I've only done this once and I want to name this Watch Out Wednesdays. So be looking for every Wednesday. We're going to post a story of a missing person, ideally someone from the state of Oregon, um, or the Pacific Northwest. I've done this once. Um, so we'll have every week a focus on someone that, um, that is missing. Uh, so keep your eyes out for that. 
also that being said, if there's someone that you've heard of or know about, we've had some uh, listeners email us different missing people. So we'll probably be posting those throughout the next week. If you've heard of a case of someone that maybe hasn't gotten a lot of media attention or has been sort of, um, you know, maybe it's a cold case, a missing person from a long time ago, whatever, send it to us and we'll use it on one of our weekly posts. Perfect. Yeah. That's a really That being said, don't forget, if you're a friend of the podcast, go on to Apple and rate us. And like if us. you're a friend, if you're a friend, <laughs> we like our friends. We want to know who you are and we appreciate that feedback. Yeah, we do see all those and we really do get excited. Although, you know, Christine and I are doing this for fun. You know, we're not doing it for fans, but it does please us when we see that other people are listening and enjoying what's out there. Yeah, and that they're, you guys are joining in on sort of the energy that we're putting out there. You like what we're doing. Um, I also want to say uh, stick around to the end of the podcast because we're going to do um, a promo for our friends at Anxious and Afraid, another podcast, girl podcasters from Oregon. Um, and they put up, you know, a podcast every week on creepy things too. And we, we love to listen to them. So stick around to the end yes. and you'll hear their promo. For sure. If you haven't listened to Anxious and Afraid, I enjoy it. I, it's always more fun when you know they're from Oregon and they've been very gracious. And I Supportive. think we've mentioned they're them before. Friends. Yeah, yeah. We've mentioned that we've made podcast friends before. And so we definitely want to shoot you their direction uh i appreciate their humor and everything they put out there they're a good one to listen to so yeah they're definitely like up upbeat funny Mm -hmm. um the topics are you know good and and creepy they talk about what makes them anxious and and obviously afraid and and i love their format and they're they're funny um and so that's it's a good one to listen to for sure for sure so I think we did our housekeeping, plugging everything. Christine, we are going to talk about stalkers this week. Why did we choose this <laughs> subject? Other than the fact that I think we've always been interested in this it's, subject. But yeah, yeah. Um, well, we, we kind of figured out that it was a couple different things that kind of came together for us. And this is how it usually works. But um It was a combination of uh, right before Christmas, I was with my family on the winter solstice and we were playing a board or a game that I purchased right before the pandemic or when the pandemic occurred. It was called We're Not Really Strangers. Um, I don't, you hadn't heard of this, but I wonder if there's anyone, any listeners that have heard of it. It's a, um, you know, a game that you would probably play with we haven't had a chance to, but with people that we don't know very well, or you can play it with people that you do know. And there's different cards that you pick and three different rounds. And the card that came up for me that kind of stood out for me was um, a card that said, what is the most unexplained thing that has ever happened to you? And so that kind of like stood out to me and I thought it was kind of symbolic well yeah it's us did you immediately think of (laughs) me when you yeah totally totally um so that along with um 
kind of having a different, some different ideas of what we wanted to do for upcoming. Um, one of my daughters who had some things happen to her recently living in the Portland area that, that were kind of creepy and like disturbing. And um, that had been on my mind, of course. And you and I have been talking about these incidences that had happened to her mm-hmm. uh, living in like downtown Portland. And so that in combination with um, an article that you and I had found from the Oregonian about um, a stalker in the Portland area. And so we kind of concluded that this episode should be about stalkers and that it's creepy. Very creepy. Yeah. So we also talked about how there aren't, there isn't a lot of information on like stalker cases, which is so I weird. mean, when you want to find like a really <laughs> good juicy <laughs> stalker case, you Google <laughs> organ stalking cases right. and nothing really pulls up. Like I, uh, not what I was looking for. We really talked about how probably what's out there and being reported is stalking between people that know each other right yeah like domestic right um stalking so uh an ex-partner right those are like pretty typical but the stranger stalking is the creepy i mean it's creepy no matter what and it's disturbing but when it's a stranger it's really adds that element of creep yeah so we're gonna definitely talk about this creepy uh story that came up in in portland recently which is there's a lot of aspects of this whole topic but um you know i think this has been a subject that has been around for a long time and first you were going to tell us what is the most unexplained thing that has happened to you and start off with that story because that did spark and i don't remember this story you said you told me this but I, I, I have a really good memory. I don't remember you telling me this story of what happened to you when you were little. So please share. Okay. <laughs> um, so first off, I, I feel like when I pulled this card the other night and we were looking at it, um, I definitely had things that happened to me growing up that were, and now that I'm like in my forties and I look back, I wonder how much of it was like actually accurate because our memories change Mm -hmm. and our, the accuracy of it, you know, and, and what really happened is distorted. But, uh, when I, you know, was a little girl, probably, I mean, I think I was probably like maybe six or seven, Mm-hmm. Um, I was over at my Nana's house and, um, I had, I was just telling Kim this whole story, so it's, I'm going to try to make it quick, but I, we had done some things, run some errands, me and my sister and my Nana, and we'd come back home and it was evening time. But earlier in that day, we had done some chores outside and there was a, a mat on the side of the house that we had laid out on the, on the grass to dry because we had washed it out. And, um, we decided to, you know, we got dropped off and we were going inside the house and it was evening time and it was just the three of us. And I think Nana had said, go and get the mat on the side of the house on the side of the house. the baby of the family. (laughs) 
What? <laughs> to the baby of the family. Yeah, to the baby of the family, you know, the seven, six or seven year old, go and get the mat on the side of the infamously dark house, right? Yes. So there's no lights on that part of the house. Okay, of course, okay. right? Yeah. So I remember specifically thinking, and, and this is so cute as a little kid, like God <laughs> will protect me. So in my mind, my cute little girl mind was like, God will protect me. I have faith and I can do this. I can go on the side of the house where there are no lights, where I feel really vulnerable, and I can just roll up the mat and bring it to the front. So I go to the side of the house and I can remember specifically like rolling up the mat and behind me, I hear. (laughs) Just do it. I know. I I hear a voice that says, and I kid you not, I can still hear it to this freaking day. Like, I can tell the direction where it was. I can, it's almost, and that's how memories work that are like traumatic, right? It, it's like it's happening to me in real time right now. I probably have never ran so fast in my life. I did not pick up the mat. I left it. And then I ran inside the house. And I remember the screen door, like, slamming. And then um, yelling, who knows what. And There's a man out there. Yeah. I mean, you were freaking out. (laughs) And then being told, you should shut the door. Because I'd left the door, like, wide open. So we actually called the police and I remember the police came over and walked into the backyard with us and helped my sister and I lock lock our bikes up and they never found anyone or anybody or any sign of anyone. But, um, you know, yeah, up until that point, my Nana had suspected that someone was actually kind of stalking her. Um, she had had some things happen to her in the middle of the night because it was just the three of us living in the house at the time. And she had been hearing things, but she had never shared that with us because she didn't want to scare us. We were just little girls. Hmm. And which probably was maybe not smart of her to let me go out on the side of the house alone. Again, you know, it was the 80s. Yeah. Um, so I still wonder to this day, like, who was that? Why, you know, why did they do that to a little girl? What was the story? Because anything could have happened to me at that point. Like if somebody really actually wanted to hurt me, they could have. I mean, I was vulnerable. They could have grabbed me. They could have, there's an alley right there. I, they could have been, you know, taking me through the alley. So there, there's a lot that my mind is like processing as I talk about this creepy story that I've never figured out. That's really creepy, and I think it only, like, perpetuated maybe this anxiety and that you felt, like, because when we met as teens, (laughs) granted, (laughs) we were a little dramatic at times. What? (laughs) I think, you know, it was different times, too. We were dealing with the telephone and prank calling, right? Right. But it, you know, I remember a couple things happening where we got a couple prank calls and maybe we like blew it out of proportion and stuff. But this happened to you as a little child. And I think maybe it just perpetuated this, you know, fear. And then, you know, things come out like the 1979 movie, When a Stranger Calls. Yes. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen that movie, if you're listening to me, if you've seen that movie, but 
I remember watching that movie with my mom when I, so it came out in 1979 and I want to say like early eighties, I remember watching this movie and if you haven't seen it, go see it. You and I have recently talked about it because you don't really remember it and recently caught it again on Prime and it's a creepy movie basically about this uh, babysitter who receives this prank call while she's alone in the house and uh, it's it's really crazy and by the end you kind of figure out that the prank caller could be in the house right and so you're, it's really creepy and actually they tried to remake the movie I think in 2006, they yes. don't watch the remake. Don't watch the remake. Go to, no. go to the original for <clears throat> sure. Carol Kane is in it. Do you remember her? Yeah. She, yeah, she's good. She was in that show Taxi. I loved Taxi. Uh, and then actually that movie was based off of an actual true crime that happened in 1950, uh, which is really creepy. And the reason why we're talking about this is, again, there's an aspect of, I guess, maybe feeling like you were more vulnerable back then because we didn't know who was calling on the phone. There was, this was before caller ID, right? This was, I totally remember when caller ID came into play because I had to, oh my gosh, I had to get home and answer the phone before the high school called to let my parents know that I wasn't in class that day. (laughs) My kids know this. I've been very honest with them about my tomfoolery that, you know, we experienced as teens. But yeah, I totally remember when caller ID came into play because then you could see who was calling the phone. But before this, you know, early 80s, there would, there was no caller ID. And there was also, like, you kind of lived by whoever, if your phone rang, you ran to it to answer it because that was your lifeline, right, to the outside world. Yeah, you had no idea who it was. If you didn't catch it, they may not call back. And, mm-hmm. and not all of us had a way to leave a message, although, you know, we did end up having, like, our answering machines, right? And so... You'd list, you know, wait to see if they left a message or do you have any messages when you got home and it would all be recorded on the little tape in the answering machine. Yes, different times, man. So this movie kind of based off of this crime that happened in 1950 to a 13-year-old girl named Janet Chrisman. Uh, And anybody could find this information. I pulled up a pretty lengthy information article from Columbia Daily Tribune about what happened to her and basically she went to go babysit for her family when she got there the child was already asleep in the room and so it you know they basically said you just need to be here and before the father and mother left he showed her how to load a gun because you know that's what you do when mm-hmm. <laughs> and told her if anybody comes to the door, turn the outside light on, right? So the night goes on. I think they'd even tried to call and couldn't get an answer, but they decided to just, you know, stay out anyway. They came home around 1 a.m. and found the light was on. They panicked. They go in, and Janet is really brutally murdered in a pool of blood, 
she had been violently raped, she had a head wound, and she had been strangled with a cord that was cut from their iron. And the boy that she was babysitting their son was sound asleep in the next room. Oh, boy. Very creepy, creepy, creepy. So, you know, you have an aspect of maybe Hollywood taking a story like this and running with it and perpetuating more fear into people, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of creepy to think about. Really creepy to think about. Totally. Yeah, so let's talk about maybe what's happened to your (laughs) daughter. Like, because we we started, we mentioned that the reason why we chose this was because we you you told me about this what was happening and i was like what the hell is going on are you kidding me and then uh we found this article on this other stalking case that's happening in portland and mentioned that your daughter lives in portland oregon right now which has seen a lot of different changes within this last year right Mm -hmm. for sure so as a mom of course i'm like worried about her but I also appreciate like her independence and her um she lives you know she does have a roommate and um but since so much has been happening in the city of Portland um since you know the protest and different things and social unrest um I think everybody's like everyone's kind of hyper aware and on alert and at home like a little more than usual so she's had a few things happen in her apartment complex and around her apartment complex that have been like super triggering for her um you know and and in particular like her windows in her apartment um there's like growth and vegetation outside the windows and her windows do have bars on them. So she ultimately is safe. Nobody could really get into the window, but it doesn't mean that people can't come up to the windows and she's on the ground floor, but there's a courtyard that is attached to like another apartment building. And it appears like I've actually looked for the entrance to get in and I haven't been easily able to find them, but she's had several incidences where um, people have come up to her window. And one in particular, um, a man was shaking uh, the bars on the window to try to get in. What the hell? I know. Luckily, she um, responded quickly and and stood up and yelled a few bad words. And um, the person is startled, apparently, and goes to the neighbor's window and is shaking it. And she um, has had, like, you know, a, a caregiver or a maintenance person from the apartment next to her, like pretend that he was like trimming the shrubbery and then he just happens to look over and like start talking to her through the window yeah like so some really bizarre things um and and there was one other incident in her actual apartment complex um and so all of this has happened within like the last year uh that being said i mean she does live in like you know 
a more downtown area, maybe a little more infamous for um, crime, um, but you know, she deserves the right to be able to sit in her apartment and, and have the blinds open in an area that looks out to like, uh, you know, uh, a safe, um, mm-hmm. closed in complex. And so, um, you know, we had a big discussion about why don't, why doesn't she just close her blinds? And her reply just a few days ago was, you know, this is my this is my space. I'm not going to be afraid to have my blinds open and I need the light. I mean, it's Portland, it's winter time or whatever. And even in the summer, the apartment doesn't get a lot of light. So she's like, I'm not going to be afraid of these people. Wow. Uh, Good for her. She's brave. I'd be like, close those things and never open them. And if you touch I know, right. I'll slap your hand. But to hear her response to that, um, you know, to ha- her initial like knee jerk reaction was to get up and yell some and and have like, you know, she was she reacted in a way that scared the person off. That's good. That's really yeah. good to remember too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in a time like that, you'd be so scared and kind of in shock, like what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. But even when the guy, and we're not saying that the maintenance man is stalking your daughter or anything. These are just incidences that have happened to her. And it also plays into the fact that when these incidences happen, uh, she didn't call the police, right? She didn't. Right. And, and it's because she basically knew that it probably wouldn't go anywhere. And uh, this next story that you know we found in the Oregonian that's so interesting to talk about, hits home with that with all these things happening we've talked about this being like a perfect storm right covid and budget cuts happening in portland and the riots and stuff literally created this perfect storm for this dude to go in and and create havoc that will basically affect these people the rest of their lives like we're going to tell you about something he did to some teen girls that i mean i don't even know what you would do in this situation and you're, you know, we're in a time where maybe we can't pick up and move, right? Mm-hmm. COVID exactly. affected everybody. So exactly, if- and that's exactly what we've talked about with our daughter is, you know, this sense of safety that we deserve as individuals, right? It's our basic need, like having housing, having stable housing where we feel safe. And why doesn't she just move? And why didn't she call the police? And it's the same. First off. Um, my daughter has the right to be sitting in her apartment and have her blinds open into a gated area and not mm-hmm. have to worry about a man coming up to her window or peeping on her or stalking her. And um, she has the right to live anywhere she wants to in the city and, and be safe, just as any other individual does. So... Um, that is, and you're right, Kim, like right now people cannot just up and move. Also, people normally may not have the resources anyway, even outside of a pandemic, even outside of, you know, um, social unrest that is happening right now and social injustice issues that are coming to light with, you know, in the last few months and all these things happening. A lot of people do not have the resources to just pick up and move to a better part of the city. Mm -hmm. or outside of the city or whatever so 
Um, what are their options? And that brings us to the story in the Oregonian uh, that was featured as part of a public safety um, article written by Maxine. Um, let me find her last name if I can. Maxine Bernstein. Um, and the article was about the very same thing that we're talking about. Um, and I want to start out by the most striking part of what kind of grabbed my attention and grabbed your attention. We started talking about this earlier was um, the article starts out talking about a father who lives in um, a northeast Portland neighborhood who woke up to in the middle of the night to a text on his phone from his daughter in the same house that said, there's a weird man in my room. Oh, God, jeez. I know. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> yeah. His 13-year-old daughter wrote him from the opposite side of the house, there's a weird man in my room. Uh, this person had lifted open the window, slipped into this 13-year-old girl's room um, on one side of the house and was about to touch her. He was reaching up to touch her. She slept in like her loft bed. Um, she was awoken. She leaned away from him, grabbed her cell phone and texted her dad. In the meantime, her 12 year old sister, who was also in the room with her, had woken up and ran to go get the father. He calls 911. Um, by the time the officer gets there and he gets to the room, the man had already run away. Um, they assigned a detective to the case. They dusted for fingerprints. They did a, a forensic drawing. And the 13-year-old daughter says, well, this drawing doesn't look anything like um, the stranger. And so they didn't do anything with it. It was never distributed. Um, and after that, uh, Troy Howard... Uh, the father says that um, nothing happened after that. He called them, he called the police, and they never got a response back from them. This was happened March 7th of 2020. So this was before we went on lockdown. Mm -hmm. This was before we really hit, like, pandemic, um, you know, central pandemic, serious pandemic shutdown. I don't even yeah. know what to call it. Um so it was a seven months before Troy um, and other neighbors found each other. So other neighbors were being stalked and were reporting it, but none of them knew about each other. And then they finally kind hmm. of found each other. They banded together to try to figure out who this stalker was and chase him down. Um, Jeez. So these were two separate neighborhoods, people in Rose City Park and North Tabor. They were posting flyers. Um, people were hiding in their cars overnight, like stealthily setting up like sting operations and creating like homemade detection devices. Uh, one of the women, I think she was like 50 years old, was out with like her flashlight that also doubled as a stun gun and would go on like night nightly patrols. Um, That's pretty uh, scary. Granted, yeah. that might be before the riots or, you know, the unrest started happening in Portland, but still, uh, 
definitely I think you would it would be harder now to go out with you know and it's pretty very an unselfish act to go out there and be a vigilante really I mean they're trying to find this guy right yeah um so the reason why these people were doing this was because this person was coming back again so it would be like a single episode right no like they would this person the stalker was coming back to the windows and tapping on them so these were reoccurring incidences of the stalker coming back again um so this these people in these neighborhoods felt like they had to do the work of the police either because the police were responding slowly um it was all all of the protests going on were taking up the police's attention there were strangely like a record number um, of officer retirements and i was listening to um maxine as she was in like a podcast the writer of this article and she said that in one month there were 43 retirements in the police bureau in one month and that was just within the last probably year or so there were also apparently some major budget cuts happening i don't really know that i didn't do any research and, and i don't know why there were so many budget cuts happening um and i'm not going to to point fingers about that. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that there needs to be, um, you know, an increased amount of money given to the police department in order for communities to feel safe. I think that money can be distributed in various ways to help communities. But um, anyway, the, the number of police in the police force had been steadily declining that's what it shows, and I'll talk more about this in a little bit. But um, there, Kim, there was one detective left to handle all burglary investigations in Portland over For last summer. For the whole summer. city of Portland? Yeah, one detective. Um, and then it says a, a, another detective joined him at the end of the summer. Hmm. Um so the Oregonian uh, does doc do a great job. This this um, article do- documents sort of the numbers. If you're if you want to look closer at like the data of how many um, burglaries were reported, um, and in like one year, uh, so. That gives us good insight into like what was really happening. Um, And then also, like, who is handling these different reports? So if somebody calls in and says, I have someone, um, like, with uh, the case with Troy and his daughter, was that considered stalking? Was that considered a burglary? He didn't take anything. So um, if it, depending on how it's classified, impacts how fast they send help. It impacts who... um, you know, how seriously they take the crime. I mean, there's so many aspects to this that's really interesting. Um, But ultimately, often, out of all of these different cases, the victims end up feeling like they are being ignored. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, we call 911 or we even call the non-emergency line hoping to get some kind of a support, right? So the response times this year skyrocketed. Um, it took between June and October of this last year, it took an average, average of 13 minutes to get an emergency 
um, to get a response. And this was for an emergency call. Jeez. It, the average time was 44 minutes for a mid-range call and 102 minutes for low-priority calls. Um, and so that, again, like what I'm saying, who decides what is what, right? Mm-hmm. Like if somebody's in your home, if somebody's um, been in your home and they've already left, like how do they determine what is the emergency, what isn't? So And, and also per community, like... Um, are there certain parts of the Portland or areas of Portland where they're more likely to send a a patrol car or less likely? Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, this article does a good job talking. It shows a graph of the Portland police response times. Um, and so obviously anxiety is building throughout like last spring and last summer and even into the, the fall here. Um, and, um, because of that and the little help from the police, Troy Howard and the other neighbors, um, actually identified up to 11 victims of this neighborhood. They called him a neighborhood harasser. Um, he would stare into bedrooms, masturbate and groan outside windows and sometimes open up the windows and obviously um we know he had the ability to climb in and felt like he could climb into windows um he also followed women home from nearby parks uh and they have video footage they eventually figured out who he was um and and so these women these teenage girls are sitting in fear never knowing like when he's going to return people were putting locks on um, ser- ser- security cameras. Um, they were patrolling for, the neighborhood, right? Yeah. With weapons that they had made. Yeah. Like. And Troy's daughters reported that there were at least five more times that they heard tapping at their window in the middle of the night. So he came back to that house that he had crawled into and tapped on the window? Yeah. So he was hoping that the police, as many of us would suspect, the police are going to connect this information to maybe um, other crimes, let the community know, maybe let the media know, but none of that was happening, okay? Um, So the article discusses like another um, family who had very similar things happen to them. Um, she pulls up, she sees a man in her front yard leaning against the window and at night, one night, um, this happened multiple times, um, windows, like noticing windows being opened when there's a really actually pretty creepy part of this where one of the daughters is like taking a shower. Um, yeah. So this guy's showing up at the window between like 11 and 2 a.m. They see him outside masturbating. They call the police. Nothing's happening. They hear strange noises outside of their window. Uh, Yeah, so they're putting up their motion detector lights. They're installing cameras. They're putting up flyers once they catch him on their cameras. Um, And this is impacting. Now, I understand, you know, that that no, no one is actually directly being like harmed by this man, right? They're not being touched. They're not being not assaulted. Yet. Right. 
Right. Um, but it's impacting people's, you know, it's traumatizing. It's creating a sense of um, fear, uh, anxiety. It's taking away people's privacy in their own homes even if you have to monitor just like with my daughter having her blinds open and closed wondering Mm -hmm. if someone's in your home is someone outside that maybe you can't even see but they're there like lurking um and so some of these people were doing stakeouts um and um in one case in particularly um There's a case where um, a woman named Melissa Clark um, would go out, you know, and patrol with her cell phone and her flashlight. Um, She said that her 18-year-old daughter in May heard someone whispering, psst, hey, I'm breathing heavily outside of her bedroom window. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? People would hear rustling and just this guy was just like outside right he was just he knew he could get away with it maybe he knew that he had done it so many times and that um no one was going to really be able to stop him um at one point uh one of these women one of these victims actually um opened the curtain saw him outside and asked him what he was doing and he responded with i'm masturbating what Wow, he had some courage, right? Yeah. He's it sounds yeah. like as this went on, uh he knew he was getting away with it and he was mm-hmm. getting more brazen with it. You mm-hmm. know. That's really scary cuz we hear we've we've talked about cases where and you hear about this all the time where something happens and I think this happened with the night stalker the east area rapist where he just started out stalking people eventually he wasn't murdering people at first and then he ended up murdering people because you know nothing was happening when he was going Mm -hmm. in and terrorizing these families so that's really scary it sounds like this guy started to get more brazen with his axe and yeah. Keep terrorizing. So what eventually happened here? So the you know, these people in these neighborhoods banded together, um, and eventually they were able to identify who this culprit is, um, and uh, you know, what to do about it right right with that information is um is key. So they figured out where he lived. Okay. And um, they tailed him at one point, a group of Troy and his friends. And, and actually, there was like a high-speed chase through downtown Portland. What? And I know. And um, they actually ended up arresting the culprit, um, Brandon James Perky. Uh, and That's the perp's name? That's the perp's name. So these, you know, these... People in these neighborhoods who knew they needed to do something came together and um, shared their information just by chance. It took them a while to to find each other. Um, They had all been reporting things to the police in various ways, online, 
you know, through 911, through the non-emergency line. And yet the police had done really nothing with the information. They had done like the bare minimum, right? Yes, they had shown up. They had taken, dusted for fingerprints. And granted, they, you said they had one dude, one officer, detective or what have you, in charge of this burglaries, if these were categorized as a burglary. Right, right. We have one so, person in charge of this. We know that that there is a lack of detectives. I don't know in terms of just all of their total resources how... All of the resources are distributed. And and I think a big part of this is if we look at the neighborhoods this is happening in, if we look at what they consider severe in terms of like a crime or who the, the victims are, is it that it's these are crimes against women? These are crimes against young girls. So it's not deemed as something, you know, or maybe it's not because it's not bodily harm I have no idea but what I do know is that um you know these neighbors were at one point even told that how to conduct like um you know an arrest um a citizen's arrest yes thank you so they were told by an officer how to make a citizen's arrest saying that police were too tied up to handle because of the (laughs) protests downtown. So, um, so neighbors were putting up flyers. They had to come together. And I will let you know that all of this was just happening. Like this guy was just recently, I mean, this was dating back to like October. Um, and he is still, I, I believe as we speak. So he was actually arrested and held, for 11 hours um, and they found out that he had like not shown up for a court case because he had already been arrested for like indecent exposure at like a minute mart in town right he has uh, filed and been convicted in the state of Florida Um, so this guy is is not new um, to the system here so he was in jail for less than 11 hours and um that's one hour for each victim that we know of right you said there was 11 victims that we that we know about he was told to report to the court november 30th um for the january public indecency charge so the indecency charge from before but he didn't show up of course he didn't um and he said, this This person said, he told police at the time that he knew masturbating in public was wrong. And he said he had been arrested in the past for the same conduct in Florida. Um, and so he had an outstanding warrant uh, for violating probation in Florida. Um, hmm. He'd also, like I said, been convicted before in Portland. Um, he, so far, Kim, faces no charges from the months that he did these things to the neighbors in both of these neighborhoods. Um, And they are continuing to investigate. He doesn't have a permanent address. He couldn't be really uh, reached for comment. And um, yeah, so obviously Troy Howard is pretty upset. Um, So there's all these, you know, traumatized people 
these women, girls that have been traumatized, and he's back out on the street um, after all these neighbors worked so hard to find the evidence, band together, um, and uh, yeah, so what Troy Howard is hoping is that um, they'll be able to present a new case eventually to um, the grand jury to actually indict him on something. Um, then they a have to find the guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so they are, I think the detectives are working on a way to, um, to gather enough information and evidence to actually indict him. Um, but I think the, with the resources and with everything that's happening right now, um, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough, um, a tough case. That um, is really creepy and really scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, scary that they know who this guy is and they essentially really can't do anything about it. Their hands are tied, it sounds like, mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, yeah, geez. So the dad, Troy Howard, um, wants this perpetrator to face a charge of attempted first-degree sexual abuse for, um, yeah. you know, allegedly, allegedly attempting to grope his daughter um, because that would require him to be registered as a sex offender and then get the treatment that he needs. So wait, wait, um, wait, wait, Christine. You mm-hmm. said this guy had been, has charges on masturbating in public before and he isn't even read he wasn't forced to be registered as a sex offender so he just i don't i don't know that he actually ever showed up to court like he had and i don't understand even like um you know he's wanted in florida so i don't know um how he's out walking around i don't know understand how they let him go again I don't really understand, um, but it comes back to, um, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of the resources that the police do or do not have, I mean, what we know is that these um, incidences of, like, you know, stalking women or violence against women, or it's kind of the theme we've always talked about. I mean, the serious nature of it in terms of just trauma and long-term effect of the long-term effect of trauma for girls and women. And, and yet, obviously this doesn't seem to have been taken very seriously. Hmm. Um, and this guy is just out walking around. Portland right now maybe maybe Portland maybe he's left Portland but he's definitely moved on you know um I did go to you know check out some things on Facebook um to try to kind of keep updated on what's happening with this person um if anyone knows anything more about this case or can find out any additional information on this uh harasser as they call him Um, you know, he sounds like somebody who is sick and needs some, uh, some treatment. He has compulsions that are, you know, fall outside of our behavioral norms. I mean, um, we don't all, 
usually walk around just kind of yeah. doing whatever we feel like doing. Um, and so this guy really needs some help. And unfortunately, our, our society, or at least in the Portland area right now, is not taking this um, as serious as they should be because we know this can escalate. We know not only is it traumatizing, but this does typically escalate into more for people, right? I mean, yes. <laughs> so um, something needs to be done. For sure. Something needs to be done for sure. Uh, as you were telling me this story, as we're sitting here just now talking about it, I was literally thinking this could be a really good Lifetime movie. Like I know. Uh, you know, showing how this community came together to get this guy. It would only be a good movie if he was caught at the end and, like, something happened to him. So maybe that could happen when that happens. But, you know, that goes into does Hollywood play into the factor of, you know, sensationalizing stalkers is that the reason why you and I are so like drawn to this subject you know I watched When a Stranger Calls when I was what five years old mm -hmm. and uh, you know have definitely always felt creepy about this subject just felt like it was just a really creepy disturbing subject you know, and of course, all the prank calls that we received as teens and probably I'm going to say it, even we did a couple prank prank calls to people. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it was just what you did for fun. Uh, definitely played into that. And how it's interesting how evolved we've come because now we have an aspect where stalking can be done online, right? Right. You can take... Back then, we were really subject to whoever was calling that telephone, and really it ended there with them terrorizing you. But now people can take, you know, someone's picture online and run with it and literally stalk them online and wreak havoc on their lives that way. That's a whole interesting thing. Yeah, How there's definitely, we talked about this before we started recording, like just the aspects of, um, this case, this whole case from Portland is there's a lot to unpack and we could spend probably a whole nother episode on just what is, what does this mean for us as a culture? What does it mean, you know, when we can't even be in our own homes and feel safe? And I yeah. think that's the part of it that's so creepy, right? That, that spoke to us in that movie when we watched it in 1979, like the idea that you are inside your own home with the doors locked and yet somebody has the ability to impact you mm -hmm. and um and and for some of us in our society we are more more vulnerable to that and um and and what is the message that we're getting in return is that um you know from the people that are supposed to support us or protect us supposedly the police um it is that it's not as important. Mm -hmm. um, it's not as serious or we don't have the resources. I mean, you take maybe your neighborhood isn't as important or whatever your the messages is that that we're getting is that. Um, are we really ever safe? Right. So, That's scary. That's creepy. I know. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Thanks. I know. Uh, Sorry I do about know, that. Uh, in my little community, I live just in a little small community, 
outside of the bigger town in our area. And there is on Facebook like a neighborhood watch thing going on specifically for our area. So that's another good thing about, you know, I, I tend to really not like to go to my social media and see disturbing things, right? Mm-hmm. So I filled it with like art and flowers and plants and stuff I want to look at. But uh, I think it is important if you have some kind of neighborhood watch social media thing going on, because I actually did sign up for it and saw that, you know, people were breaking into cars around our area. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just another ex a little extra step you can take maybe to connect with your neighbors, which is exactly what these people needed to do. Uh, and, and that sometimes is hard. Like I am someone that goes straight. I don't really talk to my neighbors, but that's Brian's mm-hmm. job in her house, right? <laughs> so I'm friendly, but he definitely is the one that reaches out. And I mean, he's the one mowing the lawn, right? So yeah. it's easy for him. I think that there's a part of this, too, that I want to just point out as well, which is that there's something that even these neighbors banding together in the way that they felt they had to to get um, their sense of safety back again in order to help their daughters feel safe. There was one family that um, she said that her daughters actually left for college early because they didn't feel safe anymore. So, you know, maybe... We aren't, like I said, we aren't being physically harmed, but there's a quality of life that's being impacted in all of these cases. And um, that being said, I also want to like point out that um, I think at times we might, even though there's video surveillance, you know, we've got some shots of this guy um, and it, it does look like the same guy. All of the shots that they have of him, okay? However, he hasn't been tried. He hasn't been, you know, so this guy is is just a dude. And my fear is that also, I think there needs to be a balance in here where we're providing information to each other to help support us and keep us safe and keep our eyes open. But also, there are a lot of times where people are... Um, jumping the gun maybe Mm -hmm. and using these photos or attacking people on social media or whatever. We can use it to find people, but I also do think that it's the police's job to arrest them, to build up enough evidence, to uh, bring them to court, all of that. It's not us as a community necessarily, but I think what happens is it falls on us. And that's what this case is about. Mm -hmm. Um, Meanwhile, this guy's face has been plastered everywhere on social media. And so I'm not saying he didn't do it, but I also think that there's an element to it that um, there are probably times where a person didn't do it and his face, he's been mistaken and maybe his face has been put all over media. I also, I had a lot of things run through my mind about this. I just don't necessarily feel that it's our place as a society to have to be the ones that find the person. Right. That have to come up with resources to buy the cameras, to fill, you know, posters, to buy flashlights and stun guns and go out and and use our time to like survey people like sure it it, it's really sad but it I mean it is what it is what's your other option so I'm really proud of these people for their bravery and be able to do this uh 
I know I wouldn't sleep at night if I knew someone was coming and tapping on my friggin' 13-year-old's window. I would not sleep at night. So uh, I do commend these people for being brave. It is sad that they had to go this measure, but, uh, you know, it just might be what we have to do as small communities is come together and stop these stalkers if it's happening in your community. I think there's an element where we provide support and resources um, to to help with mental illness. And yes, for sure. That perhaps he fell through the cracks, and I'm not I'm not letting any stalker off the hook. No. Or any person who commits these what I think are um, crimes, but I think that our resources could be put into different areas where these incidences could be prevented yeah and thank you for saying that because you are actually someone that will that thinks like that right Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people don't think like that like uh to be honest my mind doesn't really go to the fact doesn't doesn't have compassion for the perp it really doesn't obviously if you've heard our highway 20 episode (laughs) and how how hard I hated on that freak but uh, so it is really, thank you for saying that and bringing that up, that this is someone that fell through the cracks and needs help too. Uh, and so I, I really commend you for actually even thinking that, Christine. Thank you. You're welcome, Kim. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to see everyone's place and of course people's, you know, reducing a, people's exposure to trauma is always the first thing in my mind and uh and using our resources and connecting to keep each other safe and healthy and happy is like ideal um but you know how are we using our resources are are they going towards policing or are they going towards spreading our financial um you know resources to help in ways that reduce mental illness. So I could go off for hours on this, but the point is, and the reason we started all of this is there are creepy things happening and that's what drew us to this topic. Creepy, creepy things. It's a heavy topic. Um, (laughs) It's, it's a lot to unpack and we could go down a rabbit hole for probably hours and many more episodes. But, you know, we, as, People, individuals, women, we have the right to be sitting in our front room with our curtains open, even at nighttime. Like, we have the right to do that. We have the right to, um, It's so funny because you say we have the right to do that, but that's the last thing I would do. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? But maybe that is, I like your daughter's way of thinking. Like, why should she have to conform to, you know, the perp that's outside? That's her home. She should feel safe in her home, but, uh, and that is a totally good way to look at it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I like that. I like that a lot. So we're going to wrap it up, but just, uh, (laughs) and, and play our promo from our podcast friends, right? Anxious and Afraid. Before we do that, though, we want to just remind you to tell a friend, tell the friends that you know that will appreciate our talks right Mm -hmm. you know the people out there in your life that wouldn't appreciate the occasional f-bomb and you know the people that do and the people that uh 
would appreciate the creepiness that we talk about each week, right? So we definitely, if you are liking what you hear, we keep getting stories emailed in to us at unexplainedorgangmail.com, right? And mm -hmm. it's providing us with energy and ideas. And uh, I think on our next episode, we're going to read some stories maybe that have been emailed to us. We've talked mm -hmm. about that. Uh, so just keep them coming. And then also definitely watch out for Christine's Wednesday watch. And uh, definitely we are so happy to be doing this and being back. I hope everybody rings in the end of 2020 feeling safe and happy and healthy. Right? For sure. Yeah. How do you, how are you going to find your sense of safety? Um, that's the key, right? And also like, what is the most unexplained thing that's happened to you? Yes. Is there anything unexplained that's happened to you that you want us to share on an upcoming episode? That would be fun. Yes. Um, and so just shoot us a message and let us know. Um, and we'll read it on, on our upcoming episodes. Yes, let's do it. All right, Christine, okay, I love you. Thanks I love for, you too. Thanks for doing close this. Close your curtains. Don't close your curtains. What do we even... I'm probably still going to close my curtains. But I as I do tonight, I'll give an extra little peek out there. <laughs> and, you know, glare Look out around. There. Look around. Look around. But uh, maybe, you know, maybe one night I'll just have them open. I doubt it though. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go fidget with all of my Christmas gifts. Yay! Yay! All right. Till next okay, time, girl. girl. I love, love you. Okay, bye. Bye. Hey, guys. I'm Abby. And I'm Shauna. And we're the host of a podcast called Anxious and Afraid. Do you love deep dives into true crime? The paranormal? Strange history? Conspiracies? Well, so do we. And each week, we take turns surprising each other with whatever anxiety-inducing subject we are obsessed with that week. Tune in each week to hear Shauna mispronounce words. Um, the guys on the lookout apparently asked for binoculars. Did I say that right? So the photos showed him and his colleague entertaining. <laughs> Wait, am I saying that wrong? Yes. <laughs> and listen in as Abby constantly asks too many questions. I was oh, about to ask you a lot of questions. And I'm glad that you interrupted me. Continue. <laughs> I would have told you to shut up. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Stop I'm trying to Stop quizzing me. Okay, okay, you know, I did enough research. <laughs> Let me just tell the damn story. Jesus. Continue. Episodes drop every Tuesday, available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find us at our website, anxiousandafraid.com. We're always looking for new friends, so don't forget to rate and subscribe. 